0: We're going to remain standing now and turn to our sermon text this morning, which is found in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1. Before we do, let's ask God's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that your word does not return void. And so now as we turn to your word, because it is a holy book, a spiritual book, we pray that your spirit will indeed come and help us to understand it and to apply it to our lives. Open our ears, open our hearts, so that we may see wonderful things in your law. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I'll begin uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 1, in verse 8, and I'll be reading uh, through the end of the chapter, so verse 32. This is God's Word. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing... as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is for, blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable pass, passions. For their women exchanged natural relations to, for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, they who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I need to acknowledge my wife saving me a moment ago. I'm trying to get used to uh having glasses and uh, uh readers all at once and so this is my first experience trying to navigate that while leading worship. So thank you for your patience and thanks to Sarah not only for playing today but for uh sort of rescuing me there. I hope that uh, everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving day with family and friends and that you have recovered from the tryptophan coma brought on by overindulging in turkey. By the way, it's really not the turkey. It's the carbs and the heavy gravy that brings on those late afternoon, Thanksgiving afternoon naps, as much as that gobble bird. But if, you like, if you're like me, you love Thanksgiving and all of its trappings, whether it's the turkey, the dressing. The, by the way, we do dressing in the South. We don't do stuffing. Dressing, cranberry sauce, pumpkin pie, or football. The seemingly endless selection of football games. In my mind, and I'm sure this is true for many of you, it is hard not to love our national celebration of Thanksgiving. The reason I love Thanksgiving has more to do with the fact that in some ways, there can be no more Christian holiday than a day set aside for giving thanks course, we as Reformed Christians know that we have 52 Lord's Days per year to, in order to give thanks. But it is nice, I think, to have a national holiday dedicated to Thanksgiving. When President Lincoln officially established the fourth Thursday in November as the federally recognized day of Thanksgiving, he said, let us establish that day as a day of Thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. It actually sounds explicitly Christian, doesn't it? Now, it's probably no surprise to anyone here that we will be focusing on Thanksgiving just three days after this national holiday. Here at Cross Creek, we are beginning our focus on Advent and Christmas next week. And Pastor Michael, being on vacation, I certainly didn't want to step on his toes as he finishes out his study of the book of Titus. So it seemed natural as the guest preacher on this day to focus on thanksgiving. That's probably, again, not a surprise to anyone. But what may be a surprise is our sermon text for a thanksgiving emphasis. Throughout the scriptures, we see time and time again explicit calls to give thanks and explicit examples of God's people providing thanks, such as the ones we read earlier in the service. So why Romans chapter 1? Why choose a text that is normally associated with the sinful plight of man and the power of the gospel rather than one of the Psalms or even Paul's letter to the Philippians, which has a lot to say about rejoicing and giving thanks? Well, in some ways, this text is as much about the importance of gratitude as it is about human depravity or the sinfulness of sin or the corrupting influence of idolatry and paganism on culture. It is my contention today that all of, all of the, uh, out of all of the texts in the Bible that we could approach, reminding us of the necessity of gratitude, this perhaps is one of the most important. So let's talk about that this day, a day just three days removed from a national holiday, acknowledging the importance of giving thanks. First, let's look at verses 8 through 15. What is going on in this part of the introductory chapter of the book of Romans. Well, simply put, Paul, as he often does in his letters, gives thanks gives thanks to the triune God for a gospel witness in the city to which he is writing. He even goes as far as saying that uh, your, that is, Roman Christians, that your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, that may seem like hyperbole to us because the entire world had not at this time in history heard the of the gospel and in general and in general in general and in certainly in the church at Rome not everyone had been evangelized and the entire world had not been evangelized. But Paul is not being hyperbolic he's stating the fact that because the gospel of Jesus Christ had taken hold in Rome and a robust and growing church had been established there the capital of the Roman Empire because of this the Christian faith was being proclaimed throughout the known world. Remember, by this time in, history, in the history of the early church, Paul and the other apostles had traveled throughout the Mediterranean basin, now Europe, and significant parts of the Middle East and Western Asia, preaching the gospel and planting churches. And Rome was the capital of what was, at that point in history, the greatest empire the world had ever seen. So in the sense that the gospel was being proclaimed to all the known world, The faith of these Roman Christians was indeed being heard in all the world. And that's important to acknowledge and understand as we talk about the subject of Thanksgiving today. As we look at the statement from the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as as he did, we should, number one, begin our Thanksgiving with the triune God. And number two, our Thanksgiving should often, if not nearly always, be focused on the gospel and the spread of the gospel. Not just in our own hearts, not just in our families and communities, but throughout the world. We are not the Apostle Paul, we are not missionaries, but the main thing that mattered to Paul, and and the one main thing that should matter to us, is that the gospel of Christ is going throughout the world, and the kingdom of God is being built brick by brick wherever the church is found. And so we give thanks, yes, for our daily bread. We give thanks, yes, for food, clothing, shelter, family, the Dallas Cowboys, if that's your thing. Yes, we give thanks for all these good things, but mainly, as with Paul, as with Jesus, we should take the eternal view and give glory to God that men, women, boys, and girls throughout the earth are hearing the gospel and responding in faith. If the hope of mankind, if the hope for all the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ, then all of us should give thanks to God that indeed the gospel is going forward. And God is building a church against which even the gates of hell will not prevail. We should praise and express gratitude to our God that he is building this church and kingdom by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So really kind of a point of application of this text right out of the gate is that we should be thankful for the gospel. But let's go a little further and see why. Verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1. And this is the thesis, if you will, the theme of the entire book of Romans in just two verses. Paul tells us that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God And has power to save to the uttermost anyone who calls upon Christ in faith. It is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. That's verse 16. Here we see that the gospel of Jesus Christ has inherent power. Power to change the heart from a position of enmity or hatred toward God to a position of love and friendship with God. The gospel contains the power to remove the stain of guilt on all people everywhere because of what Christ has done for sinners, both Jew and Gentile. The gospel of Jesus Christ has power. And Paul was not ashamed of that, nor should we be. We don't have to apologize for believing in the word of God. We must not be ashamed that in the word of God are found the words of life. We should love and cherish cherish both the written and the living word, that is Jesus, because, because it is through the gospel of the living word as contained in the written word that changes men, women, boys and girls into adopted children of the creator of the universe. That is at least part of the reason that the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news, the good news that God saves sinners, yes, But also, the good news is that, contained in the preaching of the good news, the gospel has inherent power to save us. We cannot save ourselves. The salvation of individual sinners happens when the Word and Spirit combine to regenerate our hearts so that we will love and truly follow the triune God. For this we celebrate. For this, we give thanks to God through Christ. For this, we rejoice in God, our Savior. Because apart from the power of the gospel, we would be as miserable and doomed as as Paul described, as those Paul describes in verses 18 through 32 of this passage. What we see in this section of Scripture is a picture of the sinfulness of sin, the utter despair of fallen humanity, but also a clue as to the antidote to this despair in light of what Paul says in verses 16 and 17 and the inherent power of the gospel to change our hearts. Paul catalogs in verses 18 through 32, the tragic result when men created in God's image reject his authority and fail to give thanks. He mentions ingratitude in verse 21. But before he gets there, he reminds us that this, this downward spiral of sin and judgment, is a revelation in itself of God's wrath. Just as the gospel reveals God's righteousness in the person and work of Jesus, so God's judgment on sinful man is a revelation of his wrath. You know, we don't really like to focus on God's wrath these days, do we? Certainly not on Thanksgiving Day or Thanksgiving weekend. We don't like to talk about God's wrath even in the church. It's, it's not fun. It's not happy and clappy. It's not puppy dogs and butterflies. We resist the emphasis on God's wrath in the Scriptures, but it's impossible to avoid in these verses. Despite the glory and awesomeness of the revelation of Christ in the gospel, God's wrath is also shown and poured out on all men who, Paul says, are suppressing their knowledge of God. Because of their sin. This is the flip side, if you will, of God's revelation of righteousness in Christ. His revelation of wrath against the only creatures in his image. And it's not pretty. It's actually quite horrible to read about, isn't it? This wrath results in mankind's foolishness, idolatry, and sliding to self-destruction. The sin is so bad and the revelation of God's wrath is so profound that actions that are plainly unnatural are seen as natural by sinful people. And the lusts and passions of these idolatrous people take over their collective lives. Their minds become debased such that not only is sexual perversion the result, but covetousness, malice, strife, deceit, maliciousness. And as if that weren't enough, these sinful people are also slanderers, of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, verse 30. They are foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. verse 31. And finally Paul tells us that the human race is so far gone that they not only do these horrible evil things, but they give approval to others who do the same. It's not a flattering picture of where humanity stands in view of their rebellion. Against their Creator. And many of us are familiar with this catalog of sins. After all, we're Calvinists. <laughs> we believe in total depravity. And this is one of the key passages that demonstrates in spades this important doctrine of the Christian faith. Mankind is completely and utterly lost. And this passage establishes this doctrine of depravity. But I think we often sometimes lose sight of what the proximate cause of this downward spiral of sinful behavior is. The ultimate cause is the, the fallenness of the human heart. We are sinners, and we sin because we are sinners. But what is the proximate cause? The thing that happens, or in this case that doesn't happen, that results in this destructive and tragic downward spiral of mankind being the recipient of God's wrath and judgment. Well, that thing, that proximate cause, as I'm calling it, is found in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him or give thanks to Him. That is, they, that is sinful humanity, did not honor or give thanks to the triune Creator God. This, this is the reason not the ultimate reason, but the proximate reason that Paul gives for the descent into madness that is sinful humanity. They did not honor God. They did not give thanks to him. This is the reason I think that this text is a window into the absolute necessity of gratitude. Perhaps the ultimate thanksgiving scripture text. We need to be reminded that a heart without Uh, Honor and not brimming over with gratitude toward our Creator is a heart that is headed for destruction. And verse 21 reminds us of this. 19th century preacher Harry Ward Beecher said, The unthankful heart discovers no mercies, but the thankful heart will find in every hour some heavenly blessings. Without gratitude to our Creator, there can be no mercy. Without truly understanding that God is the giver of all good things and giving him thanks, we are in danger of being given over to God's wrath rather than to his righteousness. A friend of mine recently said, thankfulness is the very DNA of the regenerate heart. And that rang true to me, especially because I've been examining and thinking about this passage in preparation for this sermon But you see, it's easy for us to read this passage and see in it the depravity of mankind, to clearly see that the sinful heart is a moral mess that hates God, His laws, and is condemned for such hate and immorality. This is true. We can see it in our culture, which has has gotten further and further over the past few decades from any semblance of a Christian worldview. And so we see political corruption, Crimes against humanity, gender shifting, profaning of marriage, rampant addiction, not just to substances but to sex and screens and sports, anything to take our minds off the fact that there is a God and that he is sovereign and that God does and should have authority over us. It's easy to read Paul's catalog of sins in Romans chapter 1 and see that downward spiral of destruction and become puffed up and say, look, those pagan God haters are horribly evil and they are destroying our society and our culture just as they were destroying first century Rome by their rebellion. It would be easy to see Romans 1, verses 18 through 32 simply as a mirror that shows us what becomes of those who reject God and His authority and fail to give Him thanks. It is true enough that the moral decline we see in our own country and in our communities are pictured in these 14 verses. But we also need to be careful. Because if we read verses 18 through 32 and fail to recognize verse 8 and then verses 16 and 17 that come before, we could easily fall into the trap of thinking we are morally superior to our pagan neighbors. We see our unbelieving neighbor mowing his lawn on Sunday morning while we're on our way to church, and we judge him for violating the Sabbath, all while yelling at the kids because they weren't dressed and ready for church in a timely manner. There's this temptation to forget the maxim, there before the grace of God, go I. Because you see, apart from the mercy and regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, all of us, and I do mean all of us, would be just as aptly described by those 14 verses. We would be the God-haters. We would be idolaters. We would be the murderers and sexually perverse. But God, in his mercy, takes sinners like us and changes our hearts that we can see the folly of unbelief, the folly of atheism and idolatry, the folly of not bowing our knee to the creator of the universe. This is the power of the gospel. It changes us. It makes us willing and ready to obey our triune God. Remember, going back to those first few verses, first, Paul is thankful for the spread of the gospel in verse 8. Then he is thankful for the power of the gospel in verses 16 and 17. Why? Because it, that is the gospel, has power to save. It has power to change our hearts. It has power to turn us from God-haters to God-followers. It has power to make us thankful, truly thankful. You see, apart from the saving power of the gospel, we are inclined, actually destined to not honor our creator and to not give him thanks. But the gospel, when it is believed by faith through the converting work of the Spirit, makes us people who not only love God, but honor him and give thanks to him. And this is all because of his mercy. Not because we are smart enough to know that worshiping an idol of wood is foolish. Not because we are clever enough to figure out that giving into our passions is self-destructive. Not because we are better than our unbelieving friends, family, and neighbors. But precisely because God in his mercy has shown us our sin and our need for a savior and transferred us into the kingdom of his son a kingdom that will never be shaken and will ultimately result in all praise honor and glory going to the triune god gk chesterson said quote our grounds for gratitude are really far greater than our powers for being grateful what is he saying our grounds for gratitude are really far greater than our powers for being grateful. Well, you see, our powers for being grateful do not exist apart from the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because without God's mercy, we will always find a way to think ourselves more than God. Bart Simpson, the cartoon character, famously prayed over a meal once. Dear God, we paid, we paid for all this stuff, so, so thanks for nothing. A blasphemous prayer, of course. But this is who we are apart from grace. Loving ourselves and looking therefore, uh, therefore looking to our own interests more than the interest of our neighbor and our God and giving him thanks. We need the converting power of the gospel to even be truly thankful. We need the converting power of the gospel in order to show the kind of thankfulness that results in true praise and glory to the sovereign God of creation. So, we as Christians should take heed of our own lack of gratitude and give thanks again and again and again and again for the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the gospel which saves us from the destruction that would result from our natural tendency not to honor God nor give him thanks. I recently watched a video of a testimony of a novelist and political commentator named Andrew Clavin. Many of you know who he is. He has a fascinating story. Having gone from being a an atheistic, far left secular Jew to now an evangelical Anglican Christian and a leading spokesperson for Christian worldview thinking in our corrupt culture. One of the interesting things about Andrew Clavin's testimony is at the point he was converted, he didn't pray a sinner's prayer, or walk an aisle, or even submit to baptism. At least immediately, he is, as I said, baptized in the Anglican church. But according to his own testimony, the moment at which Andrew Clavin seems to consider to be his actual conversion, he simply prayed a three-word prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. It was at that moment for Andrew Clavin that everything changed for him. And his previous ingratitude was replaced with an overwhelming joy for the good gifts God had given him in a loving wife, two beautiful children, and a thriving career. And it was this acknowledgement that God was indeed the giver of the good things in his life that, that opened the door for him to a life of Christian devotion and ultimately thanksgiving for the gift of eternal salvation found in Jesus. I'll bring up this conversion story because I think it's a beautiful example of the one-for-one relationship between true thanksgiving and salvation in the gospel of Jesus. We can never be truly thankful unless we understand to whom and why we sh- should be thankful. Oh, sure, anyone could give thanks in a sort of general sense of that word. Anyone can show some level of gratitude. Gratitude. But true gratitude begins when we see our need to be rescued from our dishonoring and ingratitude towards our Savior. You see, the gospel really is a gateway into the life of true and lasting gratitude. So I hope that in the truest sense of the word, you gave thanks this past Thursday for all the good gifts that God has given you, whether turkey or clothing or shelter. All of us as followers of Jesus would do well to be reminded of all the blessings of our almighty heavenly father, not the least of which is the salvation which he provides for us and his son, Jesus. For it is in the gospel of Jesus that we are rescued, not just from eternal destruction, but from the sin of ingratitude, which would ultimately lead to that destruction. If you are a Christian today, but you are lacking in the level of gratitude you know you should have, go back to the gospel. Go back to your salvation and the gospel of grace. And be grateful that God has rescued you from your sin, your terrible sin against your very Creator. If you're not a believer, today is the day you can find true gratitude in knowing that God has provided a Savior to rescue you from yourself and from your sin. Repent of your dishonor of God and show gratitude that God could love even you, a sinner condemned and unclean. If you do so, he will make you truly thankful for all of his good gifts, starting with the gift of salvation. Today, as we close out a national holiday weekend of Thanksgiving, may we share the sentiment of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who said, "May God deliver us from such a, hate, a state of heart as that, and may we never, in any of these senses, be found among those professors of whom it is said that when they knew, that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful." We who know Christ, we who have repented and trusted him for our salvation of our souls, of all people, will be truly grateful. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we take for granted at times just how thankful we should be. We live in a country and in a a part of the world where uh, there are so many blessings that we fail to give you thanks for. But the thing we fail most miserably to give you thanks for is the salvation that you provide for us in Jesus. Take us back to that again and again and again when we're tempted not to show gratitude. And we thank you, Father, that through the gospel of Jesus and by your Spirit, we can be truly thankful people.